0: The life of Jesus in you. So today we're on our second week of our summer Easter series and we're going to be looking at the fact that our creator, our sovereign God is a God of second chances. Pastor Michael talked about it. Um, So many times we look in scripture and we read about people who were characterized as heroes of the Bible but when we look into their story, when we look in, into their past, we see that they, were, they had pretty sketchy, scandalous, and, and um, checkered pasts, histories. Uh, Peter, for example, who we looked at last week, Peter, uh, he was a guy who denied that he knew Jesus three times. In fact, he, he emphasized it by cursing the third time. He denied that he even knew Jesus, and yet Jesus gave him a second chance, and Peter went on to help build Christ's church. The apostle Paul was a man who not only persecuted Christians, he he participated in their executions. Yet God gave Paul a second chance, and Paul went on to spread the gospel all throughout Asia. In fact, Paul um, wrote over half of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find a woman named Rahab. We're going to talk about her during our next sermon series. Rahab was a prostitute, yet God gave her a second chance. And and not only that, but but Rahab became the great-great-grandmother of King David. David himself, right, was an adulterer with the wife of a very close friend of his. Then, to cover all of that up, you probably know that he had her husband killed, so he committed murder. But remember what God said about David? Do you remember what he said? Who was David to God? Yes, a man after God's own heart. Did David not get a second chance? Absolutely, he did. And today we're looking at another second chance story, Matthew Matthew was, as Pastor Michael and Daniel showed us, and Kelsey, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the twelve. But Matthew had a scandalous history, and and Pastor Michael talked about that, and there went like a page and a half of my notes, which actually kind of helps a little bit on time. But see, we need to remember as we're going through this that the Bible is not simply, simply an historical book. Because we're looking at history, we're reading about uh, people that lived and, and, uh, and served Jesus. It's also an eternal book. And as we look at these situations that God tells us about through uh, his prophets and through the disciples and the writers of the New Testament, we need to remember to answer this question. This will always need to be a question. How does this apply to my life? How does this apply to my life? The story of Matthew, how does it apply to my story? How does it apply to your story? So I want to start by looking at your story before I go to Matthew's story. Here's some questions that I want you to consider. Uh, Answer these to yourself. What does God think of you? What does God think of you? What is God's opinion of you? When God sees you, Does he only see your past or does he dream about your future? Does he just shake his head at all the mistakes that you've made and all the things that you've done or does he delight in who you're going to be and even who you are today? How you answer those questions will have a profound impact on how you see yourself and how you see God and how you will see the rest of the world. And I also wonder, I wonder why you're here this morning. Why did you come to church? Maybe you're here because you haven't been here in such a long time, you just couldn't stay away and we're open, so you're here. That's wonderful. There are lots of reasons why people are here or why they're watching online. Uh, maybe you, uh, you are here because you want to hear something from God. Or maybe you're in a crisis or a dilemma and think that maybe God might have something to say about that. Or, or maybe you were just... Checking church off your religious to-do list this week. You're, you're here out of duty or obligation. Maybe you have joined us out of curiosity. You want to know who, who is Jesus and, and what are all these people talking about? I, I hear them talk about Jesus all the time and I hear them talk about their church, so I want to go, I, I go check that out. Um, some people, uh, some of you are here to, you just had a sense that you just really needed to worship the Lord and be with God's people and, th- and that's why you're here today. Uh, regardless of the reason that you're here uh, in this service or you're watching online, I believe that you're here because God brought you here. God wanted you to hear the message that he's gonna give you today. Whoever is watching, and whether that be today or maybe later today or in the future, maybe, maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is 2021 and you are watching this video on the North His website. God brought you there on that day to hear what he wants to say to you today. Now, I think one of the things that God wants you to hear, first and foremost, is that you are deeply loved by him. You are deeply loved by him. Oh, how he loves you and cares for you. God sees you. He understands you and He most definitely knows you. Now, I don't think God brought you here today to scold you or for you to feel bad about yourself. I don't think He brought you here because He wants you to know. No, I think He brought you here because He wants you to know that He loves you and no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, He cares about your life and He has a plan for your life and a purpose. And he is a God of second chances. So we're looking at the story of a man named Matthew. A man who got a second chance from Jesus. There isn't an enormous amount of information about Matthew in the Bible. We have what he wrote about, but we don't have a lot about him specifically. But we do know that Matthew was a tax collector and that he was Jewish. And he was hated by both groups because of both of those things, as Pastor Michael told us. Uh. The way that they made their money was the the Romans said, we want you to collect this amount and however much extra, keep for yourself. And that's exactly what they did. And they were good at it and they kept a lot. Matthew was not a peasant. He was not poor. Uh, We'll see later that he threw, according to to Luke, he threw a grand banquet for Jesus. He had cash. Uh, And the Romans didn't care what he did. So here you have a man who's in with the Romans, okay, and going against his own people. Um, So tax collectors, own people hated them because they were working for the Romans, and the Romans hated them because they were Jewish. So the only friends that a tax collector had was who? Other tax collectors, Right? We see this phrase, tax collectors and sinners. You're going to see it as we open up uh, the book of Matthew today. Uh, tax collectors were all known as liars who only lived for themselves. They were, their testimony was never accepted in a court of law. Now, I wonder what made Matthew willing to be a tax collector. Maybe it was a love of money or a selfish love of himself. I don't know. I, I think there had to be a hardened heart and a callous disregard for his own people. Uh, maybe he thought that was the only thing he could do. There ha- I bet there was probably some level of hopelessness as well. I mean, he had to conclude, I have n- there's nothing else I can do. Sell my soul to the Romans and forsake my people. That's exactly what he did. And he, and he did that. And he went to work every day doing that. He, uh, may- I don't know. I might as well just get whatever I can out of this system while I can, and I really don't care what people think. I mean, that's kind of where it seems to me that Matthew was. In spite of all his money, and we've looked at this before too, in our own nation, people are this way, despite of all of his own money, he was spiritually bankrupt. It would seem he really had no chance because he had been told, as all of the people in their culture were told, that a tax collector was a lost cause. They couldn't go to synagogue. They were not allowed to enter the doors. They were not allowed to go to temple. I mean, that would be like saying that a tax collector couldn't come to church. You're not allowed in this church. You work for the IRS? Nope, can't come in our doors. Now that's different, I know, but a tax collector was told that his prayers would never be listened to, let alone answered by God because of who they were and what they decided to do with their life. They were told that they had absolutely no hope of ever receiving any kind of favor or mercy from God no matter what they did to try to make things right. There was nothing they could do to ever be made right before God. It was hopeless for a tax collector. They were beyond redemption. Now, knowing all of that, when it came to the things about God and faith, Matthew must have thought, it's too late for me. Maybe you have thought that yourself. The things I've done, the things I've thought, the life I've lived, there's no way God would love me enough to forgive me, to give me a second chance. His only friends were people just like him and everybody else hated him. Maybe you have felt that desperate and lost. Maybe that's you today. But one day, Jesus stepped into Matthew's boat. It just happened to be at a table collecting taxes. And with just two words, Jesus changed Matthew's life. It was a common theme with Jesus, wasn't it? (laughs) We saw it last week, and we're going to see it again today. And as we do, we're going to find four lessons from Matthew's encounter with Jesus. And the first lesson is this. Just as Jesus saw Matthew, Jesus sees me as I am. Write that in your notes. Jesus sees me as I am. Look, Matthew didn't get up that morning and go, I'm going to go look for Jesus. I'm going to go hunt him down. That's not what happened. He knew in his mind or thought in his mind that he didn't deserve anything from Jesus. He didn't deserve anything good. Jesus had been preaching and performing miracles in, in Matthew's own town, so Matthew knew who Jesus was. I mean, people talk. I'm sure word spread pretty quickly but Matthew didn't go looking for Jesus Jesus came looking for Matthew turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 Matthew is the first book of the New Testament possibly the most often read book of the New Testament since its first although some may read that first chapter and go "Uh, that book is not for me if you can get past the genealogy continue reading Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Look at it. As Jesus went on from there, and just as I mentioned, there was him healing the paralyzed man where, the, where his friends lowered him down through the roof of the house. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man. Now I want you to say that word, saw. Say it out loud. Saw. saw. Say it again. Saw. Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now here's the two words. What did Jesus say? Follow me. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now that's pretty simple. Only one verse. Jesus saw him. He said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus saw saw Matthew doesn't mean a casual glance. It doesn't mean a tip of the hat. I acknowledge you're there. Jesus saw Matthew. Matthew. Jesus knew who Matthew was, he knew Matthew's history, and quite honestly, he knew Matthew's future. He understood Matthew, he knew his story, he he understood his life, he understood what it was like to be Matthew. He understood how other people perceived Matthew, he understood how Matthew perceived himself, and just like Jesus saw Matthew, Jesus sees you. He understands you. He knows you. He knows how you feel. He knows what you experience. And to me, that's both relief and frightening at the same time. But it's good. It's good. Here, let's watch this uh, video clip from the movie Son of God and see how they portrayed this scene of Jesus. A stinking vermin. You should keep your distance. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself for be humbled. was one piece of that that's missing. It's not Roy's fault though. So what they did is they took several different scenes and they combined them all into this one interaction with Jesus. So if you're like, well that doesn't follow scripture. No, it doesn't. But it puts several different parts of principles and things in, into the one. And if you watched the movie and what you watch that whole scene, Mary Magdalene actually says something at the end that I, I love that they put in there. She says, Jesus gives people a second chance and we should too. Jesus saw Matthew as he was. And Jesus sees us just as we are, and he still loves us. This is the second lesson we can learn. Not only does Jesus see me as I am, but Jesus loves me as I am. Jesus came to Matthew where he worked while he was working, while he was hurting people, and he loved him. No other rabbi in that day, no other religious person at that time would have risked his own reputation for the scandal that was happening in that moment when Jesus told Matthew to follow him and possibly, just as we saw portrayed there, put his arm around him as if to love him and care for him. No one else would have done something like that, but Jesus did. That tells me that Jesus is not afraid of sinners He loves them And he loves them just the way they are Let's continue in verse 10 While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house Many tax collectors and sinners We see those three words Tax collectors and sinners It's just this big group of of Evil unclean people in their day That they they should not associate with Should not touch They're lumped all together Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were shocked at what Jesus was doing. Because in their culture, similar to ours, to have a meal with someone indicated friendship, indicated love, it represents acceptance, and it... Represents love. So, how could this self professed holy man be showing friendship and acceptance and love to someone who is unclean like a tax collector? But what an interesting progression of events, right? Jesus sees Matthew. He gets in Matthew's boat. He says, Follow me. And the next thing you know, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. It's, it's like he, Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew said, Where are we going? And Jesus said, I'm kind of hungry. Let's go to your house. Got anything to eat? I mean, doesn't that actually sound like something we should do? <laughs> hey, come over and eat. So he leads Matthew back to Matthew's own house. Matthew, as Luke tells us, puts on a great banquet, a huge meal. He invites all of his tax collector and center friends, to, center friends to come and meet Jesus, this guy who has extended love to him. So Jesus was caught fraternizing with the wrong crowd. It was a scandal to the religious leaders. I am so glad that Jesus sees me just as I am. I am so glad that he loves me as I am. And we also need to realize that Jesus calls us as we are. Jesus calls me as I am. He didn't tell Matthew to change anything about himself so that he could associate with him. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. In fact, look at verse 12. On hearing this, the complaint of the Pharisees, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. So when Jesus says go and learn what this means, well, we should go and learn what this means. It was one of the ways that they interacted as rabbis. It's interesting. They would, they would answer a question with a question. Jesus was answering them with a, hey, look at, the, look at history What we see Jesus doing here is he quotes a passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Hosea. If you've ever studied the book of Hosea, it is an unbelievable book of forgiveness. Um, Scandalous forgiveness, if I may use that word. Forgiveness that, honestly, I think the best of us would possibly struggle with. But Jesus is saying, he's speaking in shorthand. They knew the rest of the story behind the phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They had it memorized in their heads. They knew Jesus was rebuking them for merciless, heartless religion. God is speaking to hypocrites in Hosea 6.4 when he says, Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that just disappears. And then two verses later in verse 6, God says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I desire mercy. God desires loving kindness, good-heartedness, and an attitude of love towards himself and others, not rote following of rules and regulations. He says, that's what I'm looking for. That's what Matthew needed. Matthew was in a pitiful state. He was lost, helpless, and as cruel and as mean as he was, look what his life had become. It was pitiful and God loved him. When God says, I desire acknowledgement of God, that doesn't just mean a tipping of the hat. Yep, thanks God, I acknowledge you here. no. What it means is I want you to know me personally and experientially, not just in theory. This is for you, your daily life. I, I want to change you. So in other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I don't want your religion. I don't want your faithful church attendance and whatever else you are trying to do to attempt to appease me and earn your way to God. Jesus is saying, I want you to love me and I want you to love people. I don't want your rules, I want a relationship. And that's what Jesus called Matthew to. In, in the book of Isaiah, God says a very similar thing. I have all of the sacrificed goats that I, it's not, I'm choking on your goats. I don't want your goats. I want you. I want you. So Jesus did not call Matthew to a code of behavior. Jesus did not call Matthew to a list of rules and do's and don'ts. Jesus called Matthew to himself. Jesus got in Matthew's boat and then what did he do? He started getting Matthew out of the boat, didn't he? Like we talked about with Peter last week. So Jesus sees me as I am. Jesus loves me as I am. Jesus calls me as I am. But number four, Jesus won't leave me as I am. And it's up to him with me. It's not up to me with him to you. Sometimes that gets us in trouble, and it's hard. His invitation to Matthew was immediate. It was instant, and there were no conditions to it. It was mercy. It was mercy. He didn't make Matthew jump through a bunch of hoops before he could be his follower. He didn't make Matthew change his life before he could be his follower either. He didn't say, straighten it up and come see me in a week. He said, follow me. And Matthew did. He didn't stare him down. He didn't shame him. Jesus didn't say, what in the world are you doing? Are we back on? Okay. Jesus didn't say anything, any of those things. He just said, follow me. In fact, follow me, and you know what? I'm going to help you take care of the rest. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to convict you of those things that are wrong. I'm going to teach you. Jesus changed Matthew's life. Matthew followed immediately, the Bible says. The call to Matthew was a picture of God's grace, and that same grace is available to every person listening today. Every one of us. Jesus says to you, just like he said to Matthew, follow me and I'll give you a whole new life. It was the grace of God, and it is the grace of God that saves us. It is the grace of God that enables you to make the changes that need to happen in your life. It's the grace of God that turned Matthew from a sinner into a saint. And it is that same grace of God that will change everything about you and me, and that will give you a second chance. God is the one who will do it. You don't have to do it ahead of time. In fact, it's impossible. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And I like the way that the New Living Translation puts this verse, these two verses. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Hear that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In all other religions and cults, being good enough to be saved is based solely on human effort, but it's the way of Christ only that we can be saved in order to have the capacity and ability to be good. In other religions, salvation and forgiveness and the hope of heaven are the final steps. You will eventually maybe get there if you're good enough, if you live a strict enough life. But in the way of Christ, salvation and forgiveness, those are the first steps. what everybody else has to work for to try to attain god just starts us right there and says here's my gift to you follow me will you receive it luke tells us in his gospel that without a moment's hesitation matthew got up left everything and followed jesus he left everything he what a huge risk right money on the table Taxes due to the Romans, he gets up and just walks away. He has just forsaken any possible uh, career in Roman, uh, the Internal Roman Serv- Revenue Service, the IRRS. It's not going to happen. His own people don't trust him at this point. He was a man who had been told by his religious system that it was too late for him. You've gone too far. You've made too many mistakes. Case is closed. It's over. There is no hope. But what happened? Jesus. Jesus. And he responded to it. He left his guilt. He left his shame. He left his uncleanness. He left his past. He left all the things about his life that he hated and he stepped into a Whole new life, and I want to say, What about you? What about you? Right now, Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Have you you accepted that invitation? What was the outcome of Matthew's decision that day? We know he became a follower of Jesus, became a disciple, one of the twelve, actually, and Matthew went on to write the Gospel of Matthew. When you look at those things that Matthew wrote down that other gospel writers didn't, I'm going to give you a few. I'd actually never thought about this until this week. When, when you have to look at these things that Matthew recorded that the other gospel writers didn't, I think you have to say why. Why did, well, Obviously, it was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but, there, but, but Matthew was still Matthew. Pastor Buddy Owens made these observations. For example, Matthew gave us Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed. Remember that one, the, the sowing of the seed on hard soil and on rocky soil and on soft soil? It's a picture of how we receive the word of God into our lives. Matthew was the one who wrote down the parable of the unmerciful servant. Matthew was the one who wrote down the parable of the pearl of great price. Suppose that meant a little bit to him. Matthew was the one. Matthew, the, tila- the tax collector, this guy with this horrible past, he gave us the Lord's Prayer. Matthew, the tax tila- <laughs> why can't I, why I keep saying that? Matthew the tax collector is the one who wrote that prayer down. Matthew is the one who recorded the sermon on the mount, the most favorite, famous, wow. The most famous sermon in all history when Jesus preached that sermon. The sermon that begins with what's called the beatitudes and the first line of the beatitudes is this, "Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God." If anybody ever understood what it meant to be poor in spirit, it was Matthew. Right? Maybe that's you. Heed the words of Jesus. And it is Matthew who gave us some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture in chapter 11 when Jesus said this, Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus changed Matthew's life. Called him, forgave him, grew him, gave him purpose. That is an invitation to you right now. To all of us. He says to come to him, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When I get a message from my son-in-law that says pray for Cassandra, she just messaged me that everybody's dying in her nursing home. They've lost five patients, another four are dying right now. She's been conscripted as a social worker as a nurse's aide because they're short-staffed. 25% mortality rate in their nursing, in their building right now. The only thing I can do is point her to Jesus because he's the only one that can give her rest and peace. It's the same for us when you are weary and you are burdened, take Jesus' yoke upon you. Jesus met Matthew just the way he was. He saw him as he was. He loved him as he was. He called him as he was, but he didn't leave him as he was. He changed everything about Matthew's life. Now, I want to go back to the questions Uh, Worship team, come up here. That'll help me. Hurry. So I asked you these questions at the beginning. Now, Now that we know about Matthew, now that you've let that sink in a little bit, who he was, who he became, and how Jesus saw him, I want to ask you again, what does God think of you? What is his opinion of you? When God sees you, like Jesus saw Matthew, and by the way, he does. He knows everything about you. He understands you. He gets you. When God sees you, does he only think about your past? Does he say, shame on you? Or does he say, I love you. Follow me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Don't think that you're out of chances because you're not. Think about all the mistakes the disciples made. I mean, seriously. I mean, if I were Jesus, I would have been, oh, you're out of here. Let's get a new guy. Seriously, you haven't got this yet? That's just like me. Really, David? You, you don't have this yet? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just In other words, he's taken care of the price and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let me ask you, what is the worst thing that you have ever done? Do you think that surprises God? Do you think God in heaven is going, oh my goodness, I had no idea that was coming. Do you really think that God doesn't know? (laughs) He does. And yet he says to you, just like he said to Matthew, follow me. Nobody is beyond God's reach. Nobody is beyond God's forgiveness. The most famous verse in the Bible, the one that we've heard so many times that I think maybe sometimes we don't actually hear it anymore. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son that whoever, that whoever believes in him. Are there any whoever's listening today? (laughs) Yeah, all of us. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's grace will change your life forever. Follow him. Say yes. Get up and walk away from whatever it is that's holding you back. Jesus has come to you today. He sees you just as you are. He loves you just as you are. He's calling you just as you are. He's saying, come to me. It is an invitation to a second chance. It is an invitation to step into a whole new life. Look at this last verse, 2 Corinthians 5. 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become, not will, not one day, not hopefully, has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life is has begun. So stop living the old life and step into the new. Follow Jesus. Say yes. Just like Matthew did. And, and remember, just like Matthew, Jesus loves you. Let's sing this last great song. Um, as we've been doing here in the last few weeks, the offering plates will be out there in the back as you leave to give of your tithes and your offerings. Have a great week. Next week, week three.